Hey, good morning there. Good to be with you again on this Tuesday morning for our weekly devotion looking at uh, Paul's epistle to the Galatians. I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. I know I did. Um, I had a great time barbecuing yesterday. I actually barbecued myself, which is a rare thing uh, the other day. And um, and I posted this on Facebook. Uh, it's such a rare thing for me to barbecue that uh, when my middle son, Jonathan, saw me doing it, getting ready to do it, he said in all seriousness to me, he said, Dad, uh, if you catch on fire, just remember to roll, okay? And he wasn't joking. Like, he's being serious. He's like, Dad, just remember you got to roll. So that shows you how much of an expert uh, I am at barbecuing. But uh, anyhow, yesterday I got to enjoy good barbecue made by somebody else and got to celebrate, uh, you know, all the sacrifices that have been made for uh, uh, for us here in the States. And so very thankful for that. And uh, so good to be back here with you again today, the Tuesday after Memorial Day, looking at Galatians chapter four, verses 21 through 31 today. So we're going to finish out chapter four, and then we'll, uh, we'll move into chapter five, where Paul has really some, <laughs> some of his most harsh language, uh, you know, in maybe the whole New Testament. So uh, I'm going to take up my Bible here, and we'll go ahead and read Galatians 4, 21 through 31. It reads like this. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit, shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. End of reading. Well, uh, what are we to say about that? Um, let me start off with a question for especially those of you who have kids. Uh, have you noticed that no matter how you parent your kids, no matter what you do, especially if you have multiple kids, that each one of them is different? Uh, this is certainly the case with all three of my boys. They each have very distinct personalities. Uh, and yet I can remember, you know, my wife got pregnant when my first son was about five months old. She got pregnant with our second son, totally planned in the courts of heaven. Uh, and uh, she, <laughs> I remember thinking after, she, after we found out she was pregnant, we were going to have a second one. I remember thinking, well, you know, the first one was really hard, but now that we're used to what it's like to having a kid, the second one shouldn't be too difficult. 
that was not the case at all. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, uh, it was a completely different child with completely different needs. And uh, so, you know, every child is different. And, um, and it occurs to me as I was uh, studying uh, this text that at least from one perspective, the Bible is the story of two very different sons. You could narrow it down to that. Uh, from nearly the beginning, after sin enters the world, God makes a, a separation between sons, as a matter of fact. He says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And from there, you have distinctions made between Cain and, and Abel, and you have distinctions made between Noah's sons and Abraham's sons, Ishmael and Isaac, who we're going to talk about today. You have the distinctions made between Jacob's sons. And of course, in the New Testament, you have that really borne out in probably Jesus's most famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son, or maybe you could call it the two lost brothers. Um, one son walks by faith in the promise of God, while one walks by his own works. This is the dividing line. One sees God as father, while one sees God as enemy. So in today's text, Paul is going to tell us about two very different brothers, Ishmael and Isaac, both born from the same father, Abraham, but very different mothers in Sarah and Hagar, who, though related, represent very different relationships to God, namely law and gospel. That's the way that Paul is going to allegorize them in our text today, Ishmael represents those who are children of the law and Isaac, children of the gospel. And whether you realize it or not, each one of you listening to this right now is one of those brothers as well. You are either in the line of Ishmael or Isaac from an allegorical perspective. You are either a child of law or a child of gospel. So, so let's look at four major differences Paul points out between these brothers in this text. First of all, you can find in verse 22 and verse 23, the sons of the law, or the children of the law, are natural, whereas the sons or children of the gospel are supernatural. So Abraham, Abraham has two sons one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. Genesis 16 is where we find the story. Sarah had been barren and yet promised a son by God. She got impatient, so did Abraham, and way too old for her to bear children naturally, of course, if you know the story. And so she decides that maybe the way God is going to give them a child is through a surrogate mother. So Sarah goes and gets one of the family's slave women named Hagar and has her husband Abraham sleep with her in order to have that child of her own. And what do you know? She conceives the boy named Ishmael. Now this was Abraham and Sarah seeking to, uh, quote, help God out in his plan for them. Nothing ever works out very well when we do that, and it was a complete disaster. Uh, jealousy and betrayal and, uh, and all sorts of drama ensue because every family's got drama and including <laughs> Abraham's family. And so uh, it did not work out. Nonetheless, God in his abundant grace keeps his promise to Sarah, known in this text as the free woman. And as is recorded in Genesis 21, eventually does give her a son, Isaac, miraculously at the age of 90. So Paul writes, verse 23, 
But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So there's the first big difference noted in our text between those under the law and those under the gospel. The people who seek to be saved by the law are entirely and utterly natural, and isn't that true? Isn't that true? Everybody naturally thinks that the way you're going to get into heaven, if there is a heaven at all, is by what you do. Your good will outweigh your bad. God will see it and say, eh, at least you're not Hitler. At least you're not Stalin. At least you're not Mao. Come on in. You know, that's kind of the way we think. And of course, this is what is known as the religion of law. It's why when I would ask people all around New York City as I uh, started the church there, what they thought would make them right in the eyes of God, every time it was a law answer, every single time. Uh, there was no one who said, well, I just hope he's gracious and merciful. It was, well, I hope he sees how much good I've done. <laughs> so, um, Michael Horton has a, a great little quote about this in a sermon he gave a while back. He says, quote, law is our native tongue. Law is natural to us, as it says in Romans 1 and 2. Even non-religious people know this. The law is written on the conscience, indeed. That's why if you have a religion that is primarily good advice, you will fill stadiums with pagans. People are attracted to law talk. So when pastors sound like Dr. Phil and Dr. Laura, people love it. We're wired for law. We get law. When Christians talk how to, pagans listen. We think we need good advice. We're all naturally like the plumber who took a look at Niagara Falls and said, give me a minute. I can fix it. So uh, those who seek to be saved by their works are believing in something, end quote, by the way. Those who seek to be saved by their works are believing in something that seems entirely plausible, logical, and attainable from their perspective. It is natural, but those who are born of the gospel believe in something entirely miraculous, just like the birth of Isaac. The only way it's going to happen is if it happens supernaturally. <laughs> that is solely by the hand and work of a gracious God. Those born of the gospel know their works would never cut it. Thus, the apostle Paul says somewhere else, no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit of God. This is why Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So that's the first point. Children of law, natural. Children of gospel, supernatural. Second difference. The sons of law are slaves, but the children, I should say children of the, of the law are slaves and children of the gospel are free. Slaves and free. Paul says the moms of the boys represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar, verse 25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia where the Israelites received the law, the Ten Commandments, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Ah, Paul is going to use a very rabbinical form of teaching here. We've got, we've got two women, the slave women, who in turn give birth to slave children, and the free woman, who in turn gives birth to free children. 
Now, these two women, Paul says, can represent the two different covenants. The slave woman is like the law covenant. How so? Just as the slave woman could only produce slave children, so the law only produces slaves itself. What he means is what he's reiterated time and time again in this letter. The law always leads to enslavement because it does not give us power over sin. It just tells us to stop sinning. Let me repeat that again. The law always leads to enslavement because it does not give us the power to beat sin or to overcome sin. It simply just yells at us to stop sinning. The law constantly shows us our chains but does not offer us the key. So we read in chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. But Paul says, children of the gospel covenant are like freedmen because we are, quote, sons and daughters of the free woman. Why? Well, because the gospel tells us there is no more condemnation for our sin for those in Christ Jesus. The gospel tells us we don't have to do anything to be made right with God, but rather have been made right with God through Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that just like Isaac had nothing to do with being born of Sarah, so too we have been born again apart from anything we have done. The gospel tells us that we have been given the Spirit of God and with him the power of God. The gospel tells us that he will finish what he started, that we have, and that because he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. The gospel tells us that we have been freed in such a way that now we have the power to live for our neighbor instead of just being merely focused on ourselves. The gospel tells us always and forever that when we sin, we always have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who will cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness, who is constantly interceding for us. The gospel tells us no longer is life a series of have-tos, but it is, in fact, a get-to. So those who seek to be saved by their works, Paul says, are just like the slave child Ishmael, because they are not children living by the promise of freedom in Christ Jesus. All right, third difference. The son of the law may be a good citizen on earth, but the son of the gospel is a heavenly citizen. Their citizenship is in heaven. And I won't spend much time on this except to just note that Paul talks about us uh, being part of the Jerusalem that is above, that is free. So in other words, our citizenship is not primarily located here. It's always connected to where we're going and to where God is bringing us. Where is the citizenship of the child of the law is all about here. It's all about what works here. It's very practical, whereas our citizenship is focused on what, on the treasures that are in heaven, storing up treasures there, not storing up treasures here. And then fourthly, fourth difference between those under the law and those under the gospel, and then we'll wrap it up today, is the children of the law are jealous, but the children of the gospel are joyous. Listen to verse 27 through 29. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. 
So look at the contrast there. Children of the gospel rejoice, are full of joy because they know it can only be a miracle of God that they would be saved. All glory goes to God, like a barren woman having a child in old age, like Sarah having a child at 90. That's how insanely unlikely, unnatural it is for anyone to expect to be saved by God. And yet it is true. And so we can't help but rejoice in the wonderful grace of God to us in the gospel when it's proclaimed to us again and again and again. But those living under the law, the children of the law, secretly, or maybe not so secretly, hold a grudge, a jealousy for those who are children of the promise. Because they think they deserve, that they've earned God's blessing. In Genesis 21.9, it's recorded that the son of the slave woman mocked Isaac. That's true, and that does happen. This might be illustrated best for us, again, with the story of the prodigal son, where you really see the difference between the child of law and the child of gospel. The youngest son of the father takes his inheritance, runs away, parties his life away, eventually wakes up broke, no friends, no family, no means of income. So he literally ends up working in pig slop for a living. But then he remembers his father's home. And he comes back seeking forgiveness. Then what does the father do? He accepts him. He throws him a party and rejoices. But the story, of course, is not done there. A lot of the time, the story is told that way, that it just ends with that. And I get it, I mean, because it's such a great scene, but it doesn't end there. Jesus makes a very clear point to show us the older brother's response. The older brother who stuck around and worked hard for the father is angry. He did what he was told, he thinks. And so when he sees his little profligate brother so easily accepted by his gracious father, he's furious. He actually refuses to go into the party. And so the father comes out and entreats him, come, come, rejoice with us, enjoy it. You're welcome to the party too. But his answer is so telling. He says to his father, look, you, these many years I have slaved away and I never disobeyed your command. Notice how he sees service to God. The children, child of the law might serve, but they see it as a, quote, slaving away. And I never disobeyed your command. Oh, man, the false pride there, the blindness. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. How dare you? And so it is today with those living under the law as opposed to the gospel. Those living under the gospel rejoice because they know they only have what they have by sheer grace, that they have not earned it at all. They don't deserve it at all. They are like the, the workers in the vineyard that came at the last hour and to their great surprise find that they're getting paid just as much as the people that have been working all day. And that is really the truth. So that's the difference between the children of the gospel and the children of the law. And so you say, well, which one am I? Well, in truth, each one of us has a bit of each brother inside of our hearts. But who Jesus says we are, by declaration, simply through faith 
in what he says? Well, he says we're the child of promise. And if we're the child of promise, then we're the child of the gospel. And if we're the child of the gospel, then that means that grace will have the final say. And that the victory is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, gang, that is it for today. As I said at the beginning, next week we'll go through chapter 5, or at least begin chapter 5, where Paul tells people that he wished they would emasculate themselves in the name of the Lord. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. How in the world does that all work? Well, we'll get into it next week. Until then, God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Thanks.